All right, well, let's get into this conversation that Jim started this last week, the conversation that we're having around this topic, finding God in a blurry world. Man, I can't tell you how much just the title of a series has affected us in preparing for this. As as Jim and and me and Maurice and Becky, as we sit and talk about what what we want to see happen throughout this series, we're looking at that title and we're just going, man, is that just so true? Finding God in a blurry world, how hard it is at times to find God in the midst of the blurriness of this world. And what we love about this, this image, uh, Ellen is our graphic design person. She's brilliant. And, and what Ellen did with this image, we loved it. We just so loved it after we looked at it. We're going, man, that's it right there. What we hope is that in the midst of a blurry world, we might see the church as a vehicle to help us to see God clearly. We hope that the church is that way. We think that that's what Jesus, when he stood before Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16, and he said, look, you guys, I'm going to start a movement. My ecclesia, my church, it wasn't going to be a bricks, bricks and mortar. It was going to be a movement of people that were going to love me, and they were going to pour out that love on other people. And this was going to be a movement that the gates of hell were not going to be able to stop. That was Jesus' dream of, of, of the church being the, of the vehicle for people to see his father and to see him clearly. And 2,000 years later, we're sitting here in a Sam's Club and we still have that same vision. The vision for ascent is for us to see God clearly, to see Jesus clearly and to find life there. That's the vision that we have. Every person would see Jesus clearly and they'd find life there. That's what we want to do. That's what we're trying to do. We, we do all kinds of things in this church, but that's our primary, our number one, help people to see Jesus clearly. Now, here's what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about today is what happens when this, this picture is, is inverted. What happens if this picture is just the opposite, when it seems easier to find God outside of the church than it does inside the church? What happens when the church has gone so sideways or the church is, has, has, has gotten so connected to one thing that all of a sudden you start to get, you, it starts to look blurry and it's harder for us to see God clearly because of the church? What happens when that's the case? Well, we want to talk about that today. We want to look at how people perceive the church We're going to look at how how someone that's looking from the outside, what they think as they look in and see this group of people. Someone from the outside, when they hear about church, what's their first thoughts? Now, you guys, i got to warn you about a couple of things with this. When you hear what people think about a lot of you and me and the church, when you hear some of the things that someone would say, our first response could be just unbelievable defensiveness. Our first thing we could say is, that's not fair. Well, that's an, un, that's an uninformed opinion because you don't know what's really going on inside these walls. We can fight it. And we can say, man, I, I, they just don't know. We could, we, could even, we could even say, I don't care what they think. I just love what's happening in here. But we can't say that. That song we just sang, there's a a place for us in our Father's house, is just as true for anybody that doesn't attend church. And in fact, it's something we need to be passionate about helping people to see God clearly and know that there's a place for them. 
I, I got people I love that I wish deeply that they would know the love of Jesus. And so we have to look at this and we can't look at it with defensiveness. We got to look at it with humility. I want you to see, Andy Stanley talked about this. He says, we need to pay attention to the frontiers of our ignorance. Now, even right there, you just go, ignorant? You're going to call me ignorant? No, Andy Stanley's saying, you got to, we need to pay attention to the frontiers of our ignorance. When we come across something that might be threatening, here's what happens. Instead of curious, we immediately scramble to make sure there's not a crack in our biblical theology. Oh my gosh, no, 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 we can't. I, and and we, we hurry to our biblical theology. And, and Andy's saying Christianity is not that fragile. And so we can receive that information and we can try to figure out now what parts of that is true. And what do we, to, what do we need to do to change it? And how do we reach out to our brothers and sisters and say, I want to tell you about the love of Jesus. How do we do that? What do we do with the perceptions people have? Well, so we're going to talk about that and know that it's going to bring up some angst in people. We're, this, the, today is going to bring up some stuff. There's going to be something that I'm going to say, I guarantee it, that one of you, you're going to, you're, you're going to sit there and go, that's just not fair and I can't believe he's not defending me there. That, that's, that stuff's going to come up today. And so I just want to, I, I, I'm praying that we can receive this with, with the greatest humility so that we can learn. Now, I got to warn you about one other thing. A buddy of mine in Seattle, a good friend of mine from college, uh, who, who we only text about sports stuff. Well, he texted me this week and said, I'm praying for a scent this week. He's been here one other time, and he says, I was out in my yard, and I just started praying for a scent. And he said, he said I, was, I was praying for your church, and he said, I prayed for you, Bill. And he said, I don't even know if you're preaching this next week, but he said, I'm praying for boldness for you. And I'm going, Steve, I don't want you to pray for boldness. It is way easier to stand up here and not be bold. Believe me. It's way easier to stand up here and kind of say something that will all kind of f will, will fit and be okay for everybody and no one gets stirred up. It's way easier to do it that way. And I really, really would rather do it that way. And he said, and then he kept texting me all week long, boldness, Bill, boldness, Bill. All right. So get ready. In every ounce of love I can possibly give, we want to be bold about where we might have some blind spots to what people see about what goes on around here. Let's pray together and we'll dig into this. Father, we, we pray that you would cover this. We need your Holy Spirit to cover this. Cover this morning, cover this time. We pray that we would, we would seek truth in this and that, that um, you would soften our hearts, every one of our hearts. Soften us to hear it and to respond with your love. God, we pray that you would be with us as we walk through this. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so here's what, here's what I did. About three months ago, I, I sat down with my staff and, and our staff, we sat down right in these, these seats right here. And we started talking to our staff about, about what, what's the perspective of people from outside the church and what, how do they see the church. It's important for us to know that. Some of you might have walked in here and you're going, yeah, that's me and that's my perspective on this. And we're going, man, we got we to gotta know how people are responding to what's happening in the church. And so, so I, we sat down with them and, and, I just, and I went through some different stuff with them. The first thing I went through was, a, was a re, some research that a group 
called the Barna Group did 12 years ago, and they gradually gathered more and more research from it. But 12 years ago, they did some, some research and found some statistics and found some response from people on why they don't go to church or what they don't like about, about the church or what they think about the church. And so they came up with, they, they came up with these results. Now, here we go, you guys, these results, this is, this is sobering stuff that the, 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 the Barner Research Group came up with. The very first thing that they said was 87% of people in the church, this is the perception of people outside the church, 87% of the people outside the church view the church as judgmental. They, we, they, they say we are known more for our criticism than our love. In fact, Christians are more known for what they are against than what they are for. Jim talked about this last week, that we are more known for what we are against, what we stand up against than what we are for. And because of that, People view people in the church as judgmental. Now, before I move on to the next one, I just want to make sure when you guys are seeing these percentages, 87%, let's really put that into a context that we can grab hold of. That's more than eight out of every 10 houses on your street of people that don't attend church. Think of you because you got up this morning and they saw you drive to church. That's one of those judgmental people. Okay, so think about it that way. When you're, at, when you're working out in your, in, your, in your gym and you're seeing all those people on the treadmills and all the bikes and everything and you're looking out at them, eight out of 10 of those people, more than eight out of 10, would look at you and go, if you were wearing a Scent Community Church t-shirt and it says church on it, they'd look at you and go, oh, judgmental. He stands for a lot of things, stands up for a lot of negative. I never hear what he actually stands up for that, he, that he's for. That's the way people see you and me that are coming to church. Okay, let's keep going. 85% say that we are hypocritical, that we say one thing and we do another. And get this, from that 85%, 84% of those people say that they know a Christian personally, but only 15% say they see a lifestyle difference. 75% say that we're too involved in politics. Now, I'm not going to touch that one because Jim's going to touch that in two weeks. So I'm not going to touch that one. 72% says that we're out of touch with reality. 78% says that we're old-fashioned. 91% say that we're anti-homosexual. In 2007, they wrote that the perception that Christians are against gays and lesbians, not only objecting to their lifestyle, but also harboring irrational fears and unmerited scorn towards them, has reached a critical mass in 2007. 70% say that we're insensitive to others, and 68% say that it's boring. 64% that we're not accepting of others' faith, and 61% says that we are just plain confusing. Or maybe we could change that word from confusing to blurry. When you read those, do you start to want to defend yourself? Do you want to go, well, that's not fair. That, that's not, I don't like, I know, come on. If they only knew me better. Isn't that our, your first thought? And, but this is what many people, most people that are outside the church, think of people inside the church. Now, I sat down with our staff and we talked about that. And I said, but over the last few years, there's been more things that have come up that have added to this even more. There's, there's something now, there's even more than we've seen in our generation of religious nationalism. 
that our, our religion is filtered through our politics and our politics is filtered through our religion. And there's a religious nationalism that's happening right now. We're quiet on important issues. Issues like, issues like immigration and, 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 and refugees and incarceration. We're, we're, we're quiet on those issues. We're quiet on issues of race. And, and, and people will look at us and they'll, and they'll say, I thought the church was going to stand up for those things and I don't see the church standing up for those things. People today are looking at us and looking at the church as sexist. There's a, so much effort now of going men and women and equal pay. And come on, let's recognize equal partnership in this. And, and they, they hear of the rumors that in the church, it's, not, it's, it's, it's still sexist. There's still massive separation between what a man can do and what a woman can do. And today, there's even more frustration and confusion and fear regarding the LGBTQ community. There's even, there, there, there's a fear around the prevailing culture. And because of that, the church has put even more walls up and the LGBTQ community finds itself on the outside looking in. That that's, that's the perception that people have of the church. Now, now, there's a, there's a passage in scripture that Jesus talks about where there's good trees and bad trees. He says there's good trees bearing good fruit and bad trees bearing bad fruit. And you can judge a tree by its fruit. But the problem is when people see this, they're judging the tree by its fruit and it doesn't look good. It actually looks like it's bad. And wait, the church is supposed to be good. And, and, and it's, is it producing good from the perspective of someone that doesn't go to church? And there's a problem. There's a problem there. See, it's, it's blurry to the people outside the church and, and it's confusing to people inside the church. For those of us that are going to church, we look at this and we just go, it's confusing. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what I can do to change this. I don't know what I do with the fact that I agree with some of it. I don't know what I do when I'm going, man, there, yeah, I've seen some bad too. I don't know what I, am I, I don't even know if I, how to think about it. I don't know what scripture says about it. Inside the church, there's a lot of confusion that comes from this. Because the reality is, is that sometimes some bad fruit is coming. You guys, I've been, I've been working in the church for 27 years. And I've tried to commit myself, it, for 27 years, my heart has been committed to helping people see Jesus clearly. That's what I've wanted to do for 20 of those years. I was working with college students and I wanted so desperately for college students to see Jesus clearly. That's what I wanted. And that's what we want now is that, that each person would see Jesus clearly. And when, when the church steps in the way of that, it breaks my heart. When the church makes it blurry for people to see Jesus clearly, that breaks my heart. My heart's sold out for this and it breaks my heart. And so I look at that list and there's times where I'm going, yeah, over 27 years, I've seen some truth in some of that stuff. I'll look at the list and I'll go, ah, sexist, is that fair? Is that fair for someone to call the church sexist? And I'm going, that's not fair. If they only knew how much we love men and women in here, I wish, it was, I wish they wouldn't say that we're sexist. But then I think about it and I go, you know what? There's been times where I've seen that's absolutely true. 
I was, on the, I was in the Holy Lands with 60 college students on the Sea of Galilee. You guys, it was an unbelievable uh, uh, trip that we took. We'll do that sometime with us because it's just a, it's a life-changing experience. I'm on the Sea of Galilee with, with 60 college students, and, and, and Amy Tumpus and I are leading this group, and, and we had them all in this old wooden boat, and Amy's standing at the front of the boat, and she's preaching from the front of the boat to everybody about Jesus calming the storm. We're on the very water that Jesus calmed the storm. We're in a boat that's just like the one that the disciples were in, and she's talking about calming the storm. It was one of the more powerful moments as she's walking through that passage of Scripture with us. It was powerful. There are two guys in the back of the boat. Two of my students are in the back of the boat, and back there they're just talking and looking out the back of the boat. And I said, what are you doing? What are you guys doing? I walk back there while Amy's talking. I said, what are you guys doing? And they said, our pastor told us we're not allowed to listen to her speak. Man, that broke my heart. It broke my heart for them that they're missing out on this unbelievable, powerful experience. It broke my heart for them because I'm going, this woman up here is way smarter than you. Way smarter. (laughs) Listen to her for crying out loud. It broke my heart for her to see it. It broke my heart for anybody else that would hear about it. There's times where that makes things blurry and that breaks my heart. There's times where we are silent on things and it breaks my heart. And then I just go, you know, when you see blatant racism or where you see subtle racism and we don't say anything. And that breaks my heart because... You just think about Jesus and you think about he, the, the, the times that he's saying, man, we are created in God's image and all equal, and, but yet we're not going to stand up for that. That breaks my heart when we're quiet on that. All I could think of is Martin Luther King in the 60s that said, man, the churches, when you guys kept quiet, you were making a statement. That breaks my heart. In that same line with women and with race, I, every once in a while, Jim, or, Jim and I go to these pastors' conferences and... and Yes, they're as boring as you might think they are. You know, there's these pastors' conferences, and, and in there, 99% of the people attending the conference are white men. White men. And that breaks my heart. I'm sitting there thinking, what kind of story is this telling my African-American brothers and sisters? And what kind of story is this telling my Latino brothers and sisters? What kind of story is this telling our people of color that there's not a place for them? Because here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a white male perspective. I am a white male. And it breaks my heart. What kind of story is that telling a young girl that's saying, I'd like to do that someday. I want to help make Jesus clear to people. Is that telling them a story when all they're getting is a male perspe- white male perspective from up in front? That breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when people use Scripture and they use it for their own personal or power, political or power gain. Jesus never intended Scripture to be used for powerful or political gain. And we see it all the time. We've seen it for years. And that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when a when a teenage kid that is struggling with their sexuality or that is, is questioning their sexuality or has decided on their sexuality, that the one person that they will not go to far more than their parents is their pastor 
because their expectation is that their pastor will respond punitively. The expectation is their pastor will respond with, with judgment. That their pastor will respond with some sort of dehumanizing practice. That their pastor won't listen to them and won't walk with them, but will only try to fix them. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And I think part of the reason why it does and why so many of the ones on the list do is I ask the question, when did the church become such an unsafe place for the marginalized, for the people that were on the margins? When did the church become the least safe place for that? Jesus reached the people on the margins all the time and brought them in. When did the church do just the, start doing just the opposite? I look at that entire list and I'm going, maybe, maybe that happened when we started putting our issue or whatever we stood on in all of that list, any one of those things, whatever we put our issue on, maybe we started putting that issue in front of a person, in front of their face and their name and their story. And we, and we stood on an issue. Now, 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 listen, you just go, but wait a minute, Bill. I mean, I, I'm passionate. I'm passionate and I have a conviction around something that I need to stand up for. I'm, I gotta stand up. I got, I, got, I got these convictions in my heart that are bursting. They're looking for a, a way out, looking for an exit to, to, so that I can pour that out. I wanna be able to share that. Come on, I, that's, where, that's where I'm standing. But listen, this is really important for all of us, really important for all of us. I, I, I've... I, I wrote it down and I want to just read, read what I wrote. I said, when standing up for what you perceive to be true, if you fail to accurately portray the love and grace and mercy of Jesus, if we fail to accurately portray the love and grace and mercy of Jesus, if your perceived truth compromises that love, then we've not been the representation of Jesus that he's called us to be, and that should deeply concern us. That should concern us even more than the greatest of our conviction. Are we sacrificing the love and grace and mercy of Jesus for the issue that we've got to stand on? Now look, I know there is, it's so confusing in this. I know it is. Come on, I'm not, I'm, I'm not ignorant to the, to the fact that we all have, we have powerful, passionate things that we want to stand on and issues that we say we believe are right and wrong and we want to, we want to push hard and we got we to gotta stand up for it. I know that. that we're, we're saying, well, Bill, what do we do about all the things that I've learned, all the stuff that I'm reading in the Bible? What do I do with all the, all the things from all, my, all of my past? What do I do with all that stuff? Are you telling me I'm just going to put that all aside? What do, I, what do we do in this space? Well, you guys, the disciples were asking the same question to Jesus. They're watching Jesus through those three years that they were following him. They're watching him go to places that they're going, what are you doing? Why are you going to the bars? 
Why are you going to, to that place and that place? You're not supposed to go there. We're not supposed to go there. Why, what are you doing? Why are you so stinking countercultural? You're making this hard on us. Why are you getting to know people that I don't want to get to know? The disciples are in that place going, what do we do, Jesus? We have these convictions that we've had for a long time. What do we do with them? How do we do this? And Jesus looks at him just a few days before he died, just a few days before, and he says, you guys, I am going to give you a command. I'm going to give you a command. It's going to be new. It's a new command. You've never heard this before. And, I said, and he said, and I, I'm going I'm to give this to you, and if we respond to this, this can change the world. If we respond to this command, if you live out this command I'm giving you, this is going to be something that, that, will, that will stand before the gates of hell and it will not be moved. It's going to radically change your life and it's going to radically change the world. Listen to this command and obey this command and lead, lead with this command. And he said, here's my command I give you. He says, let me give you a new command, love one another. Now the disciples are looking at that and they're going, love one another. We've heard that a thousand times. That's not new. Love your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We've heard love one another a thousand times. Jesus, that's not new. He follows it up. And this is what's new. In the same way I loved you, in the same way I loved you, you love one another. He's looking at each one of them with all the stuff they're carrying and all the, 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 the conviction, everything that we've got. And he's going, love others as I have loved you. And look what he says. He says, he says keep going to the next one. If this is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples. All those perceptions that people have of you, this is how they're going to recognize that you're my disciples. That you're going to love like I've loved you. I mean, at the, he finishes it. He says, this, when they see the love you have for each other, when people see it, and they see you living out this new command, it's going to radically change the way they see you. It's, the, it's going to radically change the way they see the church, and it's going to radically change the way they see me. And I need you to love as I have loved, and I need you to lead that way. Now, now, you guys, he couched this, he couched this in, 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 a, in washing their feet. That's where this is coming from. It was just a couple of days before he died. He's washing their feet and he's going, do you see how I'm loving you? Love like that. Love like that, man. That's the new command. Do you see how I'm doing this? What did he do when he washed their feet, you guys? He got to the ground. I mean, look at the different things that he did. He lowered himself. In Philippians, it says he humbled himself. He lowered himself below them. If there was anybody that could lord over them, it's the Lord. But he lowered himself below them. Humbled himself below them and every issue they've got. He knows their whole story. He lowered himself he extended dignity to them. He extended that to them. He said, I'm going to raise you up. And you know what? I'm not just going to accept you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. That love's going to go that far. It's not just, okay, you're okay. No, I'm going to actually serve you. 
He's saying, love like that. Love like that. And then he's saying, and then he's saying, he gets to the ground and he's washing their feet and you're looking, he didn't discriminate against any of them. Come on, you could, he could have easily have gone, I ain't washing your feet or yours. I'll do the rest. He didn't discriminate against any of them. He goes to the feet of Peter, who's about to deny him three times, and Jesus knows that he's about to tell him that, and he's on the ground washing his feet and extending love to him and extending dignity to him, and he's looking at Peter and he's going, love like this, love like this. He, he's, he, he goes to the feet of Judas, who's about to set the train in motion for his own death, and he goes to the ground and he's washing his feet and he's raising him up. And he's, love like this, you guys. Love like this. I could picture him with John. I could picture him just sitting there at the feet of John and washing his feet and extending that dignity to this guy and looking up to him and going, you're gonna be a leader. You're gonna be a leader of people, but I need you to be the right leader. And I could picture him sitting there with John just going, John, do you remember? Do you remember when we were standing there in Samaria? Do you remember when we got to Samaria and there was that woman sitting there at that well all by herself sitting there? Do you remember the angst that you had in your chest that day? Do you remember how you were sitting there going, what are we even doing in this region? We're not even supposed to be in this region of Samaria. Do you remember what it was like when you looked at that woman and you're just going, Jesus, don't you dare you're going to break every rule. You're breaking a gender rule. You're breaking a race rule. You're breaking a religious rule. Don't you dare go towards that woman. You're breaking a gender rule. It's a woman. Men don't talk to women in that culture. Come on, Jesus, you know that. Don't you dare. Don't you dare go to a Samaritan. That is a lower class person than us. We don't talk to Samaritans. Do not talk to her. Do, do not go to her. You're breaking a race rule there. You're breaking a religious rule there, Jesus. She is an adulterer. You are not, you should not be talking to that good woman. You should be condemning that woman. I could just picture Jesus just standing there, just going, do you remember the angst that you had? Because you knew you were right. And I walked forward and I sat down with that woman and I got to know her and I know her story and I poured my love on her and she responded with, that guy knew me from the inside out. John, love like that. Love like that. I could picture him with, on, uh, washing Andrew's feet and, and just going, Andrew, Andrew, do you remember? Do you remember when we went to the edges of every place? Do you remember when we went to the margins? Do you remember when we walked past the religious and we walked past the elite and you thought that that's where we should stop, but we went past that, we went to the people that were on the margins? Do you remember when we went out there? We went to the, the people that the world has turned their back on, but we went to them and we drew them in. Do you remember that? Do you remember when we went to the orphaned? Nobody cared about the orphaned. We went to the orphaned. Do you remember when we went to the widowed person? Do you remember that? And nobody cared about the widowed? Do you remember when we went to the, to the Roman soldier? To, the, to the, that, that pool of Bethesda where that paralytic guy was there and nobody even wanted to talk to him. He was crazy. Do you remember when we went there? 
We went to the margins and we drew them in. Love like that. Love like that. See, what Jesus asked every one of his disciples to do and what he's asking you and me to do today, and this is so brutally hard and it was so hard for them to capture, it was so hard for them to do, and he's asking every single one of us to do it today, is he's asking us to suspend our opinion. Suspend your opinion. Suspend your judgment. I'm not saying throw it away. I'm saying suspend your opinion. Suspend your judgment. And lead with love. He's asking every one of us. And it is so hard when we actually put this into practice. Because every one of us have an opinion. And he's saying suspend it. And lead with love. A couple of months ago, I went out to lunch. I, 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 I went to, to, to listen to a speaker, and, and the, the, the woman, she was brilliant. She's transgender, and she was a brilliant woman. And I, went and, I, and, I, and I listened to her speak, and then I went and I reached out to her via email, and I heard that she lived locally, and I said, hey, um, sometime, someday, I would love to go out to lunch with you. I would love to go out to lunch with you. And, and, I, and I told her, I threw this email. I said, and here's what you should expect in that lunch. I am going to stumble over my ignorance. I am going to offend you with my questions. I am going to, I'm going to talk and I'm not going to know anything of what I'm saying. I'm going to agree and times disagree. With that in, in, in mind, would you go have lunch with me? And this, and this woman said, I get a lot of requests for lunch and I turn a lot of them down. I'm going to go with you. And we went out to Gordon Beersh and had a beer at Gordon Beersh and we sat down and talked. And for the next two hours, I learned. And I learned a lot from her. But you know what I learned the most? You know what stuck with me the most? It was in the middle of that conversation when she said, I have to go to the bathroom. I have to go pee. And when she said she had to go to the bathroom, she said, Bill, do you know how weird it is that every person in this restaurant has an opinion of which bathroom I should go into? And while she was gone, I stepped back and I'm just going, suspend your opinion and get to know a story. Suspend your opinion and get to know a person. Now I know that that's really hard. I know that for some of you, you're going, oh man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. I don't know what to think about any, all of what you're talking about. I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know a lot either. I'll admit, I don't know a lot either. All I know is that Jesus is saying, we, there's a new command. Love as I loved. See, at the end of his life, I'm going to finish with this. At the end of his life, after he had risen from the grave and he, he met with us and then he left for, for, to heaven, he said, he said, I want you to do something. He said, I want you to make, a, make disciples of all nations. This was his great commission. And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Those are the three things he told them. And, and, and I think that there was a strategy to that progression now go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And what we tend to do is we turn it around. 
What we tend to do is we mix up that and we start with, I'm going to teach them what I know is right and what I think is wrong. I'm going to teach somebody that, and that's where we go first. I'm going to, I'm going to start there. But that's where, that's where we get the list, because we start there. When Jesus is saying, no, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, you guys, for 27 years of working in ministry, we all try to figure out what the definition of go and make disciples is. We're all, we're all bringing all kinds of definitions for that. And, I, and believe me, over those years, I've come up with some really eloquent ones, ones that would impress a lot of theologians. But you know what I've come down to, especially when I look at this? When I see teach them, he actually separates out from go and make disciples. When he says go and make disciples, all I've concluded in that is do what I did with you. He's going, what did I do with you? I got to know you and I poured out my love on you. I got to know you, and then I poured out my love on you. And then I got to know you some more, and I poured out my love on you some more. He's saying, lead like I lead. Love like I love. Pour out my love on people and get to know them. And then, and then maybe we might find ourselves in a place like this. And in that place, when we hear about the love and grace and mercy of Jesus and what he has done on the cross... And how much that cleanses us, there might even be a chance to baptize. Because that love is for every single person that would come in. And then on top of that, there might be a day that we can actually keep learning about what he's taught us. And we can learn together. And we might disagree or we might go, I don't know. Well, let's talk more about it. Let's dig in further. We got to honor that. We got to honor this word. This word is the word of God. Let's honor this together and let's walk together in this and let's learn together in this. But he's going, we got to start. We got to start the right way. We got to start with just, are we going to love first? The the confusion in our head is real. The places where you want to stand up right now and say, I don't agree, is real. The places where you and I might even disagree is real. And so is that command. It's real. And he's saying, do that. Lead that way. I want to ask us, can we be a church? Can we be a church that leads with the love of Jesus? Can we be a church that is safe for people that are finding themselves on the margin and the world has turned their back on them? Can we, a can we be a place that's safe for those on the margin? Can we be a place that, that, that humbles ourselves so much that we would look up to anybody else and say, you deserve to be raised up while I lower. Can we be a place that, that not just accepts, but serves? I mean, it's, it's what you guys did with the Christmas shop, man. Can we be a place that is excited? We, we serve each other. Can we be a place, can we be a place that suspends opinion? and loves first. And when we have a, a difference of opinion, when we have a difference of opinion, and this, is, this might be a pipe dream, this might be totally naive thinking, it might be, 
But if we are one, if one person's on this end with their opinion and one person's on that end with their opinion and they're both just as convicted about that opinion, can we be a place where we can come together and sit at the table together and break bread together and have community together and love together and, and, and agree together? that we're going to lead with Jesus' love while we wrestle with the places that we disagree. Churches don't do that. If you're on this end, go to that church. And if you're on this end, go to that church. What would it look like if we came together and said we're going to love together even in our differences? Can we be that kind of church? Can we be the kind of church that sees that list of stuff and instead of acting like a wounded animal like a lot of times we do where we just either fight or run, we say, no, I'm listening. And I hear you. And I'm sorry. And I love you. See, I believe that that's the kind of church, that's the kind of church that will stand before the gates of hell and it will, it will not be moved. Jesus is asking us, and, and I say this with every bit of grace and love that I possibly can. He's asking every one of us, no matter where we stand, to start, start by loving as he loved us. Man, let's be that church. Father, I pray that, that in the midst of all of this, in the midst of what's stirred up, in the midst of those, that list of stuff, in the midst of our own, our own defenses, in the midst of our, of our, of our, of, of the God-given conviction, in the midst of, of, of what we, what we are so, that we're certain of is right or wrong, in the midst of all of that, God, can we take it? Can we take it? Can we still hold it? But can we hold it loosely and hold it loosely enough that it would, we would humble ourselves to be able to go before anybody and love like you have loved? God, we pray that each one of us would. And, and, and Lord, if there's anybody in this room that, 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 has been, that is, finds themselves on the outside looking in, God, we pray that they, they, that person would recognize that this love is, is for them too and that you have a place for them in your, in your house. And I pray that, that, that all of us, all of us would come together in our differences and lead with love. God, we pray that you would galvanize our church to lead with love. And at the same time, Lord, I pray that you'd protect our church. I know that issues like this are issues that can divide churches. And I pray that you would protect our church and that we would drive closer together and closer to you as we drive closer to the, your new command. We pray this in your mighty, loving, powerful name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing one last song. Thank you. I, I, I received that. I received that. But at the same time, 
want to acknowledge. For someone that might have clapped, the person next to them might have gone, I don't know if I agree. That's part of what we have in here. And there's love together in that. We're going to stand and sing one last song together, but I want to make sure if any of you guys have anything that you want to talk about, well, you just email. It's billatascentcc.org. Email me. I'd love to go to coffee with you because rather than you run and you bolt to someplace else or, or, or it's just water cooler conversation, come and talk because I have a feeling that we're going to end up in a closer space than I think we might even realize. Let's talk together about this because that's the unity that Jesus wants in the body. Let's stand together and sing to a God that is so stinking worth singing to.